surprising. So I've been, I've been anticipating this for quite a few weeks now, and I know many of you have as well. I, I really have. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. In fact, I've been, I've been looking for the truth about dinosaurs since I was about three years old. I remember Grandma used to have all of the Land Before Time movies in her uh, movie VHS library, and we'd watch them all every time we went over there. And you know, I don't know about any of you, but I've always just been fascinated by the topic of dinosaurs. And I think because we don't have dinosaurs right here with us and in front of us, which is something we'll talk a little bit about tonight. Um, it's something that I think many people have questions about. I think it's something, especially kids, um, and I'm not saying adults don't, but I think even kids, you know, wonder a lot. I remember having dinosaur-themed birthday parties and, you know, watching movies that were um, about dinosaurs. Um, you know, in school, we learned about dinosaurs. Well, tonight, um, we're going to take on this subject of dinosaurs and dragons, you know, it's a subject that many movies and TV shows, um, it's the stuff of stories and, and dreams of, of kids. Um, these are things that are addressed largely at the moment by guesses, by theories, um, by thoughts of men. You know, explanations that they don't necessarily line up with, the, in fact, many times don't line up with the word, but instead are kind of explained away and changed oftentimes so that they fit with what scientists' latest theory might be. And so tonight, I think what's unique about this lesson is we're going to be looking at dinosaurs and dragons through the Bible, which is unchanging. It has always been true. And as we go through this and talk about the apologetic points, what you'll see is that it lines up, really, I mean, if we take a look at what observational science would say, it lines up with every scientific discovery that has accurately been made. The only time that there is any contradiction between what the Bible would say about dinosaurs and what science would say about dinosaurs is when scientific theory is uh, put above observational truth. And so tonight, uh, I'm just, I'm excited because I've gone a long time thinking that the Bible didn't have anything to say about dinosaurs. Has anybody else ever had that thought, that it just doesn't address the topic? I know that I have. In fact, I remember being younger and wondering what the truth about it was. And, and you know, even at a young age, I mean, I could recognize that w most of what I hear about dinosaurs is somebody's, it's somebody's guess. It's a paleontologist's best estimate based on the knowledge they have. But the truth, to really know what it is, is exciting to me that, you know, as, as we look in the Word, not only are we going to see what the Bible says about dinosaurs, because it does have some things to say about them, but we're also going to settle the debate, settle the conversation about what really happened with dinosaurs, where they went, when they were here, how they interacted with people, all of these things we're going to find answers to in the Word. And so if you'll join me tonight, our lesson focuses this, Dinosaurs and Dragons Described in the Bible. There are many historical confirmations that dinosaurs lived alongside man. As we look through the lens of the Bible, the world of dinosaurs makes sense. And so tonight, we're going to see what the Bible says, and I believe that it's, it's really going to firm up what we all believe to be true about dinosaurs and dragons. So let's go to Job verse, uh, chapter 40, starting in verse 15. And if you've got the scripture printout with you tonight, um, these sections of scripture will be on there. 
You know, this really is an apologetic topic. We're talking about um, a topic that the world has uh, and the scientific community has a theory about. And that theory is contradictory to what we're going to find in the Word of God. And so tonight's lesson, though we're not going to go um, from Scripture to Scripture to Scripture, we're really going to focus on these two chapters of Job, Job 40 and Job 41. Um, we're not, we're not going to read too much supplemental beyond that. Um, the point of this lesson is to really... Look at how these two verses of Scripture um, illuminate and reveal the truth about dinosaurs. Um, and, and we're just going to dig in and see what these and what they say about dinosaurs means in terms of how we view dinosaurs into history. So Job 40 verse 15, if you'll join me in reading this tonight. I think we've got it up here on the PowerPoint, so we'll get that up as well. <clears throat> Job forty fifteen. It says, Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants he lies, in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade the lotus trees cover him, the willows of the brooks surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident through the Jordan, though the Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? This is obviously talking about a huge creature. In fact, uh, this, this section of Job, Job 39, 40, and 41, what it's doing here is talking about real creatures that Job was familiar with. You know, um, in verse 39, I, in fact, I've got it right here. So I'll just read a couple of, of scriptures out of here. He's talking about, does the hawk fly by your wisdom and spread its wings? Does the eagle mount up um, at your command? Have you given the horse strength? Who set the wild donkey free? He's going on and on about all of these animals, ones that we're still familiar with today, and he's describing them, talking about the way they interact with the world and with humans. And he goes on in, in chapter 40 here, and he starts talking about this creature called a behemoth. There are a number of things as we read along with this that are very, uh, I think, important to point out. A couple of the really descriptive words we read in there is, he moves his tail like a cedar, his bones are like beams of bronze, his ribs like bars of iron. The river may rage, the Jordan gushes into his mouth, but he's not disturbed. I mean, this is obviously describing a, a very powerful, probably a very large, very sturdy kind of creature. And the, the tail like a cedar is, is a very prominent point as well because there really aren't any animals that we would know today that would have a tail like a cedar. I think it's this next slide here. Some people would want to say that this description, this animal that can stand in a river and just take on the torrent of a, a rushing, raging river that has strong, powerful limbs and uh, ribs and bones like iron, Maybe it's an elephant. Maybe it's a hippo is what you know, some people would say about this. People who would want to discredit that the Bible has something to say about dinosaurs, they would say, well, it's probably just referring to an elephant or a hippo. Well, if we look at the tail of these two animals, what you may notice, which I noticed right away, is those do not look like tails like a cedar tree. 
They don't look strong and powerful. I mean, they look kind of wimpy. Not, not a cedar tree at all. However, if we take ourselves back to maybe, I'm thinking about the movies Land Before Time and Littlefoot, the long neck. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm showing my, my upbringing there. I don't know if you guys have a, a similar memory or maybe you read a book about dinosaurs at one point. There's one called a seropod. And this is what it looks like. A seropod. I have the definition right here. A dinosaur with a long tail and neck, like a, I don't know how to say the first one, but the second one's Brachiosaurus. Okay, and a seropod is the kind of dinosaur. It's, it's these dinosaurs that have these long necks, large tails, sturdy legs, large bodies. I mean, these are probably the largest creatures that we know of or we have found fossils of having lived. You know, as I look at this and I read this description and I'll just read a couple of those high points again. Strength in his hips, power in his stomach, muscle tail like a cedar, sinew of his thighs tightly knit, bones like beams of bronze, ribs like bars of iron. The river might rage. He's not disturbed. He's confident through the Jordan. No one can take him. You know, this is, this is a creature that I look at it and I think, you know, if, I, if all I had was a sword and a spear, I probably wouldn't want to be going up against this thing either. I mean, it, it, I think this creature, this behemoth, this seropod dinosaur, it fits the description of the biblical behemoth. Wouldn't you agree with that? Better than if we go back two points, I think it fits better than an elephant. It fits better than a hippopotamus. And so it's... It's interesting that we have found the bones, the remnants of this creature. As, as people have dug up the earth, they found uh, the, the remains of this creature. Of course, it's been explained away that this is a creature millions and millions of years old. You know, it lived far and long beyond any of us were ever here. Well, if the Bible's accurate, and I, don't, I can't think of, I don't know of, and I don't think any other creature's been discovered that would fit this description and has a tail like a tree of a cedar. Anybody have something that comes to mind other than like this creature? I can't think of anything else, and yet here we see a creature that fits the description. Well, if that's true and the behemoth is the seropod dinosaur, well, that means a number of things um, referring to dinosaurs um, and, and what the Bible has to say about them. If the behemoth was, in fact, the seropod creature, which we would know as a dinosaur, if that is true, which I believe it is based on the description we see here in the book of Job, it means these things. Number one, it means dinosaurs are talked about in the Bible. Though they're talked about by a different name, which I'll address as we go on a little further tonight, they are in the Bible. And what that means, see, these are just kind of going to progress along. If dinosaurs are in the Bible and they're written about in the book of Job, that means dinosaurs walked on the earth at the same time in the same places as mankind. I mean, the dreams of Jurassic Park are coming true at church tonight, everybody. Mankind was walking with dinosaurs. It means dinosaurs were created in the Garden of Eden along with land animals on day six. You know, I think back, we, we've studied pretty extensively the last few months, the week of creation, haven't we? The six 24-hour days where God created everything. Well, he didn't leave anything out. He created all of the kinds in that six-day window. Which means dinosaurs... As we know them, behemoths, these creatures 
were created somewhere in that window. Well, if we just give place to when that might have been, it would have had to have been day six when he created all of those land animals, the cattle, the beasts, the creeping things. That looks like a beast to me. It would have been created on day six, preceding mankind being created on that same day. It means this. The oldest fossils that have been found could be a maximum of 6,000 years old. Next week's lesson is about the age of the earth, and so we're going to talk more about this, but I know we've already kind of addressed it, and we believe the earth is about 6,000 years old based on genealogies and tracing back history to when God would have created everything in that week of creation. It was about 6,000 years ago, and so if, if we were saying approximately 6,000 years is the time that we've been on earth since creation, or, or 6,000 years since God began creating, well, it was six days after that first day of creation because it happened on the sixth day. This means that every dinosaur that has died in history has died in the last 6,000 years. So they're not that old. The fossils that are being found can't be that old. You know, some of the other things that we would infer by this, you know, knowing that they were present in the week of creation... Dinosaurs would have all been vegetarians at one point. You know, it, it's just like how we talked about some weeks ago that at creation there was no sin and death and destruction and killing for nutrition. He gave the herbs of the field for all, field for all of them to eat. That would have been true for dinosaurs too. You know, we might think it's, it's a crazy thought to think that a T-Rex could have been eating lettuce. But I don't think it's any more outlandish than thinking a tiger or a lion or a bear would have been eating lettuce. And so dinosaurs at one point, before the fall, would have all been vegetarians. And the first one that would have died would have been some point after the fall of man. Because up until the sin of Adam and Eve taking the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, up until that point, death had not entered the world. And so the theory, and I've heard this one before too, to explain where dinosaurs might have fit in. You've maybe heard this before, that there was like a time before time, or, or it was in that gap of days. Well, we've, we've talked about gap theory, we, we've talked about all of that. It's not true, because there were six 24-hour days where God created everything. These were created on day six. They died at some point after the fall. And in fact... You know, it, the, I guess the, the, probably the primary point for tonight's lesson is they're not millions of years old. They're less than 6,000 years old. Dinosaurs, fossils, 6,000 years or less. In fact, this idea of dinosaurs actually supports scientific finding more than the scientific belief that dinosaurs are 300 million years old. The way that we know this is that when, and I, see, I'm kind of doing some science learning through this course. It's, it's been good for me. I'm getting back to my schooling, okay? And what I found as I was studying this out is that as archaeologists uncover these bones, what they're starting to find in many of them is soft tissue. Now, I'm not versed enough to tell you what that means, <laughs> but I know this. The soft tissue, scientists say that it should not be able to last more than a few thousand years. And so the fact that they're finding soft tissue in these fossils that they're pulling up out of the ground proves that these dinosaurs have to be less than millions and millions of years old. In fact, it, it supports the case that they're a few thousand years old. And so science is actively disproving its own theories about dinosaurs being 300 million years old. It makes more sense to believe what the Bible says than to believe the professionals' theories about dinosaurs. Praise God. 
His word always validates itself. His word always shows itself true. This also would mean, as, as we look at dinosaurs and see that they were created during the week of creation, it would also mean that dinosaurs survived the flood. Well, in order for them to have survived the flood, because the book of Job was written after the flood, in order for that to be true and for these dinosaurs, these behemoths, to be walking around in the time of Job, it means dinosaurs must have been on the ark. Interesting, right? There was Noah, there was the giraffe, there was the elephant, and there was the dinosaur. All here on the ark. You know, one of the points that I think, it's almost difficult to think that this could be true. And, you know, we talked about kinds a number of weeks ago. And, and that's such an important thing to understand in doing apologetics with the early history of, of well, our world and, and our, our mankind. Is kinds are, are so important because... There might have been hundreds or thousands of variations of the dinosaurs. You know, there might have been many different kinds. We talked about how there's, and, and I'm not going to tell you what they all were, but the seropod, it had, I mean, we even see right here different variations within the kind. But this, I believe the seropod was, was probably the biggest dinosaur that there was. I don't know of a bigger one. And so, could I believe that the estimated, I've got the figure here somewhere. Scientists estimate there are 35 to 80 kinds of dinosaurs. 35 to 80 kinds. Do I believe that 35 dino, well, I guess it'd be 70 dinosaurs, 35 pairs, even 80 pairs could have fit on the ark, many of which would have been very, I mean, they're not all this big. Do I believe that that many pairs could have been on the ark? Absolutely. Absolutely. In addition to all of the other pairs of kinds, we don't need every, every single variation of dinosaurs, but to believe that two of each kind could have been on the ark? Absolutely. And so dinosaurs would have come on the ark just like two of every other creature came on the ark. And they would have survived the flood and gone on and repopulated in the earth as, as well, all other creatures did during that time. You know, another thing that's talked about with dinosaurs so many times is the fossils that they find and how there are layers and, and periods. And, you know, they find these dinosaurs many times even all together in a similar location. And they, they I guess the science community, the theory behind this would be that it was over these, you know, 300 million years that slowly as they died, their skeletons were covered with rock and sediment as it you know came over the earth well i believe that they were all buried at one time when there was a mass flood just like every other creature would have been buried by the flood water and sediment rushing in on it in fact i actually as, as i kind of play through if you'll do this with me think think through what it might have been like at the time that the flood began you know, all of a sudden rain, the heavens open up, it starts raining, and water starts pooling, and quickly the low spots on the ground are filled with water. The only option is to run uphill, run to a place where there's dry ground. As I think about this, I think it actually makes a lot more sense in the case of the Bible that they would find many skeletons in a similar location. You know, typically what I've heard for dinosaurs going extinct is that a big meteor came and hit the earth, right? Have you heard that before? Well, then why do they find all these pockets of dinosaurs all lumped together? 
Well, I think it's because there was a flood and they were all running up to dry ground trying to escape the floodwaters that were coming. And so they were assembled in a similar area. And when they finally ran out of ground, there they lie. You know, if it was just a big meteor that came and hit the earth, then I would think they'd just be scattered everywhere. But yet they're finding these pockets, these, these dinosaurs that are in a similar location many times. And I believe that we find them buried in layers of rock because there were layers of soil laid down rapidly when the flood came. All of these things, all of these points that science has maybe come up with a theory for are answered when we put the behemoth, this creature, into the context of the word as we know it. All of these questions that we might have about, you know, where did they go? Where did they come from? When did they live? They're all answered right here in the word when we realize that the Bible's talking about them. The next creature I want us to look at is the Leviathan. We're going to go to Job 41. And I'm probably not going to scroll through all of these. It is pretty lengthy. What I have down on your sheet here is I kind of summarized a few of the passages um, in this chapter of Job that highlight specific attributes of this creature, the Leviathan. So let's take a look at these and read together. Job 41. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or snare its tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? I will not conceal his limbs, his mighty power or his graceful proportions. Who can remove his outer coat? Who can approach him with a double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face with his terrible teeth all around? His rows of scales are his pride, shut up tightly as with a seal. His sneezings flash forth light. And his eyes are like eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lights. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke goes out of his nostrils. As from a boiling pot and burning rushes, his breath kindles coals and a flame goes out of his mouth. Though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail. Nor does spear, dart, or javelin. He regards iron as straw. And bronze is rotten wood. He leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think the deep had white hair. On earth there is nothing like him which is made without fear. This is quite a creature being described here, isn't it? You know, I, I think it'd be interesting to be Job in this moment. moment. You're talking to God, and one minute he's talking about, you know, the cattle and the donkeys and the horses. And then he's talking about the behemoth and how it stands in the river. And then he's talking about this creature that's snapping bronze and iron like it's straw and rotten wood. He's shooting fire out of his mouth and smoke in his nostrils. And he's got these scales that are impenetrable. He's saying, no person can take this creature down. You come at him with swords, with darts, with javelins. None of it does anything because this creature is so strong, so, so formidable of an opponent. You know, I have down in our outline here, this, this same creature is mentioned a few other times. So if you'd like, I think I have those references on the back here, some of them anyways, and you can go read those too. But this Leviathan, a creature talked about is, is a creature of the sea. You know, this is going on in the same thread as verse 30, or chapter 39 and 40, where he's just talking about these real creatures. This is a real, a real creature that really lived in the time of Job. 
You know, both with the, the behemoth, the seropod, and this leviathan, which we'll probably just call the dragon tonight. You know, with both of these, Job was familiar with what he was talking about. You know, God wasn't saying, you've never seen this before, but let me tell you about something. He was saying, you know how this is. You're aware with, with how this creature goes. You're, you're aware of the way that the behemoth lives and, and has no fear. You're aware of the way that this Leviathan shoots fire out of its face. Like You, you know what these creatures are. Talks about the fierceness of this creature. Although it, it does say here in chapter 40 that it is not larger, it is not greater than God. Which is incredible. I mean, this is probably one of the most formidable things that's ever walked the earth. I mean, I'd be a little bit scared if I saw this thing coming at me and it was shooting fire. I'd, I might be a little concerned about that. And yet he says, though you can't do anything about it, God is in control. It's not greater than him. Good lesson for us to know today that even this creature, as scary or intimidating as it may seem, is, is nothing compared to God. You know, it's not taken down by the weapons of its time. Some of the other attributes mentioned here. It moves the water of the sea. It talks about it being stirred up like a boiling pot. The water being stirred up. You know, that, that uh, reminds me of like a helicopter. When a helicopter comes over water, many times that water stirs. It kind of circulates. This could be a creature that had wings to fly, could move in that way. Or perhaps it was just in the water, causing that water to stir. You know, clearly, I think, kind of to how we talked about the behemoth and how there are folks that would maybe want to say, you know, it was a crocodile, or I'm sorry, the behemoth, it was a hippo, it was an elephant, something of that nature. I think with this Leviathan, there could be people that would say, oh, maybe it was a crocodile. You know, maybe, maybe it was some kind of fish, maybe it was a whale. I don't think so. None of the creatures I'm aware, nothing I was schooled in on animals in science or biology Nothing matches this description. I think, you know, this is the answers in Genesis artistry for what this creature may have looked like. It really doesn't look like anything that I'm aware of today. Although it does look quite a bit like something you would find in a textbook about dinosaurs. It does kind of resemble things of myth, what we would say are myths that you may hear about in the world. You know, this creature that we don't know of today was clearly living at the time of Job. And because it was a sea creature, it's talking here about the waters in which, in which it resides. That would mean this creature, this Leviathan, was created on day five of creation. Just with all the other sea creatures. And I think when we think about dinosaurs and dragons, because of the way maybe we've come to learn of them, because of what we've been told about them, because of maybe what a textbook has said about them before. You know, I think when we go to the Word, sometimes, this is true for me anyways, when I go to the Word, I'm, I'm like going to the index looking for the word dinosaur. I don't know if you've ever done this. I've done it before. I've gone and looked for the word dinosaur. And if I can't find it, well, that must mean the Bible doesn't have anything to say about it. Well, that's just not true. The Leviathan and the behemoth are terms that I believe are referring to dinosaurs. They're not the term maybe we're familiar with and is used so often today. We're going to talk about why that is here in a minute when we get to the apologetic part. It might not be the term that we use, but 
it's still the same creature. You know, if, if I was talking about a tiger and I called it a cat, it's still a tiger. If I called it a dog, it'd still be a tiger. The way we describe it in our language isn't what gives it validation. The creature's the creature. What God made is what he made. And we know that God made everything that is on this earth. And so if it's been here, it's from him. And he says that in six days he created it all, which means it all came in the six days. And there was no gap after that. There was no extra time after that. So knowing that, you know, a gap theory or, or knowing that, you know, evolution millions, billions of years is false theory of man, not of God. Well, then we know dinosaurs, dragons, they must have lived while we were here. So these things that were true for the dinosaur about walking with man, surviving the flood, it was a sea creature, so it would have survived the flood. You know, these things that we talk about would have been true for the Leviathan as well. And obviously, though man lived with it, it was something that they feared. This too, you know, kind of to that same point of the dinosaurs, would have at one time been a vegetarian, even though it doesn't look like it right there. Man came to fear this thing. You know, these beasts that were so large and, and so formidable. They were feared by man. Um, and eventually, what we're going to find is they ceased to exist on earth. So let's move into our apologetic section now. Um, and I think one of the questions I've had, even with this lesson... Is this, why is it that dinosaurs have been said to have lived so many millions of years ago? You know, why, why is it that Christians many times even go along with that idea? I mean, if we say that God created everything and creation week and, you know, we've been around since then. If, if you know, we know the starting point based on Genesis 1-1 and there's nothing about you know, dinosaurs sometime millions of years ago before, then why is it that so many Christians believe that? I think the reason that dinosaurs and dragons are either explained away or put in a category of myth or maybe saying they existed in a faraway time millions of years ago, I think the reason that so many people are ready to accept that is because we don't see them today. You know, I, I have never encountered a behemoth, a dinosaur. I've never encountered, praise God, that I've never encountered a Leviathan. I've never come up against these things. And yet, I believe they existed. You know, I, I believe God created them. And so I think it's important that we base our belief on when that happened and when they would have lived on what the Bible would have to say. And I was thinking about this point. What other animals that we are familiar with today? You know, if, if we went... If, should the Lord tarry, and we go 400 years into the future, and we're talking to believers in, you know, 2400 AD about the creatures that we lived with today, and I was describing crocodiles, and I was describing elephants, and hippos, and rhinos, I mean, this creature that has this large, like, bone sticking out of its nose, that it charges into something, you know, if I'm describing these things, Elephants even. I mean, elephants are kind of weird looking. They've got giant ears, this long trunk, and huge tusks. I mean, these are strange, cre creative creatures. Because we serve a creative God. 
So just because it, it doesn't look like, just because this doesn't look like, and I'm not going to scroll all the way back to the seropod, but just because they don't look like something that I see on earth today, doesn't mean a creative God wouldn't have created them 6,000 years ago. And so if we went 400 years into the future, and we were talking to people about the creatures that walk around on earth today, I mean, have you ever looked at some of the big cats, the way a leopard looks, the way a tiger looks? I mean, if I was trying to describe that to somebody who had never seen one before and had no idea that these had ever existed and had been told that they were a myth or told that they lived millions of years ago, I'd probably have a hard time convincing them outside of the truth of the Bible that these creatures really lived and walked with me. And yet I think sometimes we have that same view of dinosaurs, that same view of dragons, the Leviathan. I think it's easy just because we don't see them around us today to say, well, you know, yeah, maybe they did live all those years ago. Maybe they did. Um, maybe they were just myths. But, you know, all these other creatures, like, because we see them, obviously, um, we're, we're believing them, but that's not really faith. Faith is, I believe what the Word says. And here in the Word, we're reading about a creature that sounds a whole lot like what we would call a dinosaur, and reading about a creature that sounds a whole lot like what we might describe as a dragon. And you know, other than the explanation and, and social peer pressure of man in the science community, I have no reason to not believe that these things lived in the last 6,000 years among people. And I don't know about you, but I'm not going to let the pressure of some guy with an idea in a lab stop me from believing what I see here in the Word. And so I believe dinosaurs and dragons lived among us. In fact, you know, we, we said in the beginning as we set out tonight with our lesson focus that there is actually historical, many historical confirmations that dinosaurs lived a, alongside man. Dinosaurs were very commonly referenced all the way up through the 1700s. And the thing about dinosaurs is they, they might have gone by a different name. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit and then I'll come back to these references. The word dinosaur, I think this is where we get kind of tripped up sometimes, is we call it a dinosaur. Well, that word was not used until 1841. Just in the last, what is it, 150 years? 170, 80 years? It's a short time frame that this word was invented and begun to be used. Up until that time... They probably used the word behemoth and leviathan. And then some guy in a lab came up with the word dinosaur. And now people think dinosaurs lived 300 million years ago. Of course the word's not used in our Bible. It wasn't invented until a hundred and some years ago. In fact, the, I, I pulled up the date the King James Bible was written and it was in 1611. So if you're reading a King James Bible, you're definitely not going to find the word dinosaur in there. I don't think there are modern translations that sub out the word behemoth for dinosaur, but maybe they should, because then it would give people an accurate idea of what's being talked about here. You know, just because just the language is confused because some guy made up a word to describe these creatures that used to walk on the earth but we don't see today. You know, if, if tigers go extinct, if rhinos, rhinos are actually like kind of, I think they're close to extinction, I don't know. I think, like rhinos... If they go extinct next year, and I make up a new word to describe a rhino, and then 10 years from now we're talking about the, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not going to make up a word for them. If I'm talking about it in this other word, it doesn't mean the rhino wasn't in existence. 
It, it, see, that's, that's, I think, the trouble with, you know, the, the translation. You know, it, words, meaning, value can get lost in translation. And I think with dinosaurs, that's what's happened a little bit, is people are maybe going to the word looking for the word dinosaur, and they read behemoth, and they might just glaze right past it. Well, I'm looking for a dinosaur, not a behemoth. I don't know what a behemoth is, but I'm looking for a dinosaur. What's the same thing? Of course, it it absolutely describes these creatures with these giant bones that we're digging up thousands of years later. So these dinosaurs, though the word might not be used, you know, dinosaur, I wrote this down in our sheet under, I think, point B. Dinosaur is a word that has meaning to us, but is not the language used to describe these animals in the Bible. And I think that summarizes it really well. Just because we're talking a different language than what's written in the Bible does not discredit what is written there. Maybe we need to adjust our language to to be synonymous with what the Bible's using, or maybe we need to use the updated words when we're describing what's written in the Bible. Maybe instead of saying behemoth, we should say, yeah, it was a dinosaur, or make that explanation. Maybe instead of saying dinosaur every time, we should just start saying the behemoth. I mean, man, you start talking about, oh, I was reading my Bible and learned about the behemoth the other day. People are going to wonder what that is. I'm just telling you, you get in a Bible conversation with somebody, you start talking about the behemoth or the Leviathan, they're going to want to know what you know. Just because the wording's different doesn't mean that it invalidates the language and, and the, really the truth that's used in the Bible. And so going back to point two in this apologetic time, they're very commonly referenced up through the 1700s. They would not have been, uh, you wouldn't have seen the word dinosaur probably would have seen the word dragon. You know, uh, maybe behemoth, maybe leviathan. Dragon was really the one that was most commonly referenced. And I think, you know, I, I heard it explained this way as I was studying for this. It's kind of like, you know, squares and rectangles. Sometimes you got a rectangle. Like, every, every square is a rectangle, but not every rectangle is a square. I have that right, don't I? Okay. It's kind of the same way, with, I think, with dinosaurs and dragons. Every, every uh, dinosaur is a dragon, but not every dragon would be a dinosaur. And we're talking about language things, and really this is just a, a matter of understanding. So when we're talking about dragons through history, this was the overarching term used to describe these huge creatures that lived and walked that don't live and walk anymore, or swim, or fly. And then, you know, every dragon, how did I say that? Every dinosaur is a dragon, not every dragon is a dinosaur. So we have the, sea, the leviathans in this equation too. You know, those would be a dragon as well. We read about how these leviathans are sea creatures. Those could be described as a dragon, but they wouldn't be a dinosaur because the behemoth, the dinosaur, was a land animal. Okay, so both would be describing these prehistoric And I don't even, that's probably not even the right word to use because they're part of history. They're not prehistory. They're part of history. So these historic creatures that were huge and feared by men and we're digging their bones up now, these historic creatures are dragons. Hallelujah. They're dragons. Couple examples I wrote down, and I'll just be honest with you. If you like, go on Google. To, if you want to know more of these, go on Google tonight and search "dragon encounter" or something like that. You're gonna find like endless stories of them. 
I wrote down just a couple that stood out to me. Alexander the Great, obviously, everybody's probably heard about him. Okay, he was great. Alexander. He went to India at one point in his you know, conquest of, of the Middle Eastern world. He went over to India, and he came back giving an account of this dragon that he saw chained up in a cave while he was in India. I mean, I don't think Alex was a liar. I didn't know him personally, but... I mean, I think he was considered a pretty credible source. Took over, like, majority of the old world there in Eurasia. He comes back talking about a dragon. All the way up into 1543. And you could Google this town, and I'm sure you would, you would read about the dragon. This Styria, Germany, in, in the 1500s. There are reports about how this dragon was living in the woods, and it would come into town. That wasn't that long ago. That was i got to do math again. 450 years ago or something like that? Not that long ago in terms of history. Definitely not in terms of what scientists would say. I mean, they're saying 300 million years, and here 400 years ago we've got regular accounts of dragons. I saw another one, and I, and I didn't write the town down, but somewhere in Germany, it was like in the 1600s. In fact, I thought this was really interesting. Um... All the way up into the 1900s, there, there, there was a time like kind of in the settling of the West, and maybe you, you can Google this if you want. It's the tombstone epitaph, epitaph, it's like E-P-T-H-I-T-H, and there was this account of these cowboys that were riding out in like Arizona, and there was this huge I think they called it a bird, like the Thunderbird was the name they gave to it. 160 feet long, with these wings like they had never seen before. Stood on two legs, probably like a pterodactyl. Dinosaurs in the 1900s, there's accounts. And I'm not going to give you all of the people that said, you know, I saw a dinosaur, I saw a dragon. Because some of it's probably not true. But you know what else I find interesting about the accounts of these dragons throughout history and cultures? Every culture in the world references dragons. Every culture in the world knows what a dragon looks like. Or maybe they have a different word for it. But you start talking about a scaly creature that breathes fire and flies, they all know. I mean, everything in China, it seems like, has a dragon like inscribed on it. In Europe, I mean, there's dragon stories all over Europe. There are Native American and, and South American accounts of dragons as well. I mean, it's, it's worldwide. And it's because they were real creatures. You know, it's, it's like today, if I go pretty much anywhere in the world and I start talking about what a dog looks like, people are going to know what a dog is. Whether we use the same word for it or not, we know what a dog is. It's kind of the same thing with dragons because they were, they were a real creature that at some point in history people really lived with. And so now that they're extinct and now that they're gone, now what we have is you know the stories, the accounts of them. But there's a reason every culture in the world knows what these things look like. It's because they really lived. <clears throat> the World Encyclopedia. This is a pretty credible source, right? I think. Let's read their definition here. 
The dragons of legend are strangely like actual creatures that lived in the past. They are much like the great reptiles which inhabited the earth long before man is supposed to have appeared on earth. Dragons are generally evil and destructive. Every country had them in its mythology. Even here in the World Encyclopedia, they say these dragons that people are talking about are strangely like these real creatures. How interesting is that? That even, you know, a scientific source, and I guess I don't know how scientific the World Encyclopedia is, a secular source is saying that dragons, maybe they weren't exactly the way myths would portray them, they're a lot like creatures that really lived at some point. Now, where the World Encyclopedia gets it wrong is they say they, you know, allegedly lived sometime before man. Well, we know that that's not the case because the Bible, I mean, here's Job next to these creatures, knows about these creatures. But even the World Encyclopedia here is kind of conceding the point that, yeah, dragons were real. We see dragons were real. You know, even the point about, yeah, they're doing something. You know, I do know what that is. Cindy warned me about this. There is a, a... a hatching process going on down in the kids' church tonight. So I'm sure if you have kids, you'll hear all about it. And I think we're live streaming that service on our kids' page. So if you're really interested, you could probably go watch it later. <laughs> so one of the things about this Leviathan that we read, and it almost sounds like unreal, smoke out of the nostrils, shooting fire out of its mouth, I mean, that sounds unreal. It, it sounds like something we, we have probably not experienced. I've, I've never had an experience with something shooting fire at me. But there is a bombardier beetle. And I guess this beetle, I've, I've never personally seen one, but I read about them in studying for this. It shoots a burning chemical mixture out its back. And it's, it's an acidic process of burning something. If God can put that in a little tiny beetle, I don't see why a Leviathan can't shoot fire out of its mouth. Shoot fire. Shoot fire. Burn the stump, right? It's not impossible for God to create something like this. I mean, because we don't have the experience, it it sounds maybe different. To somebody in the world, I'm sure it sounds just like something out of a a myth or a fairy tale or, or it couldn't have been at the same time as us being here. God's a creative God. God God can create things that maybe are beyond our imagination for animals, maybe beyond our current experience for animals. So then I think, you know, kind of the next obstacle we may encounter in this thought process. I know everybody in here is just totally sold on dinosaurs and dragons at this point. I know we're all fully believing dragons are dinosaurs and they lived and walked on earth the same time as us. But a question you might encounter then is where did they go? You know, where did they go? I think even even the scientific theory tries to answer that with their own theory. They say, well, a meteor came and hit the earth. It didn't destroy the whole earth, just enough of it so that everything on on the surface died. But, you know, the water stayed and the vegetation came back. But, you know, it it was just the perfect hit. Which... You know, I wasn't planning on saying any of this, 
But I think it's interesting that for science theory to work, everything just has to, has to happen perfectly by chance. You know, that, that just perfectly by chance, this, this atom would appear out of nowhere and collide into something else. And then out of that perfectly by chance, there would be this evolutionary process that takes place on Earth where all of these, you know, atoms and things, they interact with each other in a way that reproduces and evolves into something else. And just by chance and perfectly, you know, we are, we are just the luckiest people ever to be here today because it took so many perfect chances by science's theory for us to get here. And same with dinosaurs. It, what, what a perfect, you know, lucky chance that this meteor came and destroyed everything except for, well, all of the vegetation and somehow the animals came back, but the dinosaurs didn't. I mean, my goodness, what a coincidence. I mean... Like, as I'm saying this, I'm like, why do people believe these theories? It makes so much more sense to believe the Bible. And this hasn't been amended in 6,000 years. You notice theory has to change like every six months. Oh, we found something else out and we disproved part of our theory, so I guess we'll just change it. The word hasn't changed and yet it still remains a consistent, cohesive, accurate history. I don't understand why people don't believe the word. And I'm praying that people will come to believe it and see it. And I even believe this topic of dinosaurs is one that can draw people in to believing and trusting in the word of God. But the question remains, where did the dinosaurs go? You know, if they've existed in these last 6,000 years, where'd they go? Why aren't they still walking on the earth today? Why don't we see them and interact with them today like Job did? Well, I think one answer and kind of an easy answer they went extinct i mean we we've had animals go extinct in our very own lifetime it seems like every year they're adding 50 species to the extinct list and those are just the ones they know about stuff's going extinct all the time dinosaurs i think it, it's uh, it, it makes perfect sense to me in the context of the word that dinosaurs would have gone extinct as the primary reason they're not here today. You know, if we look at even just the ages of life through the, through the Bible, something we'll talk more about next week as we get into the age of the earth. You know, Noah, the word accounts that he lived to be about 900 years old. You know, Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. They were living a long time. And yet, after the flood... It seemed that the term of life diminished and diminished and diminished over time. You know, by the time Joseph was walking around, it was about a hundred year life expectancy. It just dropped. Perhaps as a result of the fall of the world, and as the, the death and decay became more and more rampant as time went on from the fall, it became more and more difficult for these creatures to live long lives or lives at all. You know, is, it, is it possible that as our, you know, human, though we may have been made perfect and in the image of God, well, once sin and death and corruption came in, obviously people started dying. Well, I think the same is true with these animals. You know, they, they were made to live, but when sin, death, and decay came into the world, they started dying. And as time went on, 
You know, perhaps as the condition of the world became worse, you know, both spiritually but also physically. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of death in the world today. There's a lot of decay in the world today. Maybe as that became more and more rampant, the dinosaurs, being these huge creatures, had a harder and harder time surviving and living in the condition of a fallen world. Perhaps the condition of the world after the flood was not sustainable for an animal such as these. I think another kind of obvious reason that we don't see them today is that mankind does the thing that mankind does and killed them all off. I mean, if you've read American history, you've probably read about the huge herds of bison that used to roam the plains or the rhinos and elephants that used to grace the plains of Africa. I mean, big game just seems to have a let's kill them all kind of effect. Well, these things, I mean, I imagine once mankind started developing tools, like once we got a little bit sharper than the sword and the spear, once we got maybe some bullets and some cannons, some gunships, some AC-130s, you know, once we started getting a little more firepower, maybe it became a little more difficult for these things to outdo us in terms of the fight. Maybe we just started killing them off. You know, I haven't heard too many, fairy, other than Shrek, where Donkey marries the dragon. I don't know of any stories where the dragon gets out alive. Usually it's somehow, some way, the prince came through and slayed the beast. Maybe those aren't mythological fairy tales, but they're more history than we realize that people really were going out and killing these animals, killing these dragons. I mean, it, it shifts your perspective to see it this way, doesn't it? I mean, it's a total change. Like, you start hearing stories about dragons, and you kind of look at them differently, because now you're thinking, well, that probably happened. There probably was somebody that went into a cave and took him down. There, there probably was a giant crossbow on top of something shooting at the dragon as it came by. It just, it, it changes your whole perspective. And so the reasons for the dinosaurs being gone, the dragons being gone today, I would say probably the main two are these. We live in a world that's dying and mankind kills stuff. I think these are two valid reasons for why we don't see them with us today. Let me end on this point. We have just a few minutes left and then we can go see what those kids were doing downstairs. Believing that dinosaurs existed a long time, millions of years before mankind, is a problem. You know, I think it's one of the sneakiest things that the devil has done to discredit the Word of God, to get every young person and older person, to get people to believe that dinosaurs, these creatures that were finding evidence of really living, having really lived on earth, that they were millions and millions of years before our time. I think it's one of the sneakiest things that he's done to get this idea, this lie to be believed by the masses. Because what it does is discredit the word. You know, if, if I'm a child and every child learns about dinosaurs and the school, school system is teaching me the theories of some guy who's believed a lie from the enemy, he's got a false revelation of what really went down, and oh, they were here, but it was millions of years ago. 
Well, it discredits the word because now I can't believe that everything started 6,000 years ago. I can't believe that there was a seamless timeline presented in the word of God that he didn't leave anything out. It opens me up to question, well, if he didn't talk about dinosaurs, what else isn't he telling me about? You know, we say the Bible has every answer that we could need. Well, it doesn't answer my question about dinosaurs. So tell me that, preacher man. If you can't tell me about something that we know is here on earth, then how are you going to tell me about heaven? It's sneaky. It's conniving. It's deceitful. And it's destroying the credibility of the Word of God. It's so important that we believe based on the Word and not based on a theory. Just like everything else in this study. You know, we're doing this apologetic curriculum, this series, because... We want to be able to give a defense, an account for what we believe. We want to be able to give an answer for it. You know, I believe that if we really go to the Word for our answers, there will not be a compromise in its authority. But when we start bringing in theory of man and trying to adjust the Word to fit that, that's where there's compromise. And that's where it opens up other doctrines that maybe are uh, more, more present in our life today to being adjusted to. I mean, if we're willing to adjust what the Word says about dinosaurs and dragons, why not adjust what it says about marriage between one man and one woman? You know, if I'm, if I'm willing to adjust it on these things, why not adjust it to something else to fit what I believe to be the convenient truth? God's Word is not compromised. This belief of dinosaurs existing long before man sets up, it just tees up the evolutionary viewpoint. And it begins the process of unraveling doctrine set in Genesis. So my question to you tonight is, do you trust God's word or the theories of man? Amen. And do you believe in dinosaurs and dragons? They walked the earth, they swam and flew. They were here when we were here. Next time you watch Jurassic Park, you're going to be watching it in a totally different way. I'm just telling you. You're going to be thinking, man, I'm glad I live in 2020. (laughs) But then you're going to realize you've been locked in your house for two months. You're going to say, maybe not. Uh, We were here for such a time as this. I believe we are here today. To be the ones that bring the truth into a world that does not know the truth. I believe we are here today to be the vessels of the Word and the Spirit. Bringing God's authority back into the world. As we invite it into our lives, I believe we carry it into the world around us. If you'll pray with me as we wrap up tonight. I just want to agree for opportunities for this message to open doors in people's hearts to the truth of the gospel. Lord, I pray tonight that you would do what you have intended to do, that through this message and through this revelation and understanding of dinosaurs in the context of the word, dragons in the context of your word, I pray that there would be opportunities presented to those who have heard this truth and have prepared themselves faithfully to give uh, an account and a defense of the faith that we believe and the word that we believe. I pray for opportunity to come to share this truth with people that have bought into deception and lies. I pray that there would be great fruit yielded from it. 
that it would be a part of the planting, the watering, and the harvesting process of bringing souls into your kingdom. God, I believe that you can do it. I believe that you will use this for the good of your kingdom, for the sharing and spreading of your gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Just go tell everybody about dinosaurs and dragons. Pastor Isaac, yes. um, pray also tonight. Ayaka's co-worker, um, I think, um, was having more difficulty today. So okay. Maybe agree with her. For yeah. Her I think her name is Noelia. Noelia. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's all pray. Let's all pray for Noelia here as we dismiss. And, and I think even just, you know, that, that, plant and Perry as a whole, you know, I believe they need our prayers now as so many of them have been diagnosed and tested positive for COVID. Let's pray about this. Father, we thank you that in Christ, in his blood, there is a promise not only of salvation and life to come, Lord, but life for now as well, Lord. You have given the abundant life as your promise in John 10, 10. And so we stand on that promise tonight. We stand on the stripes Jesus bore on his back, believing that we are healed in Jesus' name. We pray for Noelia, Lord, that if she is a believer, that is a promise that is for her. Now, we agree with her, with her family, with co-workers, with Iaka, and those that work there, Lord, that she would be healed in Jesus' name. And Lord, if she's not a believer, then I pray that this is an opportunity for her to come to know you, not only as healer, but as Savior and Lord as well, God. We pray for this time, not to only be oppressive, God, but we pray that you would use it for good. You would use it as an opportunity to share the gospel, share the hope that is found in Jesus. Lord, we pray for that meatpacking plant in Perry, that even there, God, as people get bad reports, as people have hope stripped away from them by conditions of the world. I pray that you would send laborers into that harvest field. You would send people with a message of hope, people filled with the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit into that situation, God. And protect those that go, that they may bring hope, they may bring the gospel, they may bring light into a dark situation. God, I pray that you turn all things for good, and I pray that you would use even, even the devastation in that plant, Lord. You would turn it for good. You would be healer and savior to those people that have not known you, and you would be faithful to be healer and savior and Lord to those who do. We pray this, and we love you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Be dismissed and be blessed.